All right, we've looked at the problems. We've ranted, we've moaned, we've groaned. Now it's time to move on, move up, and most of all, to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I am your host, John Delray. So today we are diagnosing, I mean, we, we know the problems of the Green Bay Packers, right? But now it's time to actually say, what can the Packers do? What are the solutions to the many things that have ailed this team and led them to their three and three record? Some of them are pretty clear. I mean, basic fans like myself, and others who have nothing to do with Lambeau Field, we see things to do. There are other things that we can't even pretend to know because it all depends on the internal internal dynamics of how the franchise works. So, today we're going to go through, we're going to talk about what are seven of the things that the Packers can do that even we can see. That something has to change to turn around the fortunes of this 3-3 three and three team. Before we get to that, though, I do have some injury updates as well as some signing updates. Been a little bit since I did a memorabilia video, so at least wanted to get these announcements out to you. These are just the dates, and for most of them, whether the signings are public or private, uh, if you want any further details about any of the signings, just hit a comment on the video, and I'll be sure to answer back with the exact details in full. So, injury notes. This is who practiced versus who didn't today. David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, they were both limited participants. Certainly not unexpected. Still a good sign to see that both of them are practicing with tremendous regularity now. Obviously, Randall Cobb. He was a do not practice. We know he is missing time. The only question with Randall Cobb now is do they put him on injured reserve or not? We should find out soon. Rashawn Gary was a full participant in practice today, which would lead you to believe that those toe issues of last week that made him questionable are now a thing of the past, and Rashawn Gary is back in full. Jake Hansen was a do-not-practice today, completely expected given his bicep injury. Uh, from everything I've read, it looks like an IR stint is quite likely for Jake Hansen and probably coming in the coming days when the Packers have a need for a roster spot. Aaron Rodgers, he and that thumb was do not practice again today. Uh, I don't have a ton about the status. No one really talked about this much today in the pressers or anything. Um, so Aaron Rodgers, do not practice. This is probably just a thumb rest day for their downright old quarterback. And then Christian Watson, of course, still a do not practice with his hamstring injury. I actually think, you know, they talked last week about whether putting him on IR and just shutting him down for a while, letting him heal. Matt LaFleur acknowledged that it was an option on the table. The fact that they haven't done it yet, to me, is a sign of optimism that he may be back sooner than later. Of course, what that means, who knows? But the fact that they have elected not to just say, all right, you're out for a minimum of four weeks, it's a good thing. And I'm not saying he's going to be back this week or anything like that or even next week. But still, a lack of an IR stint lends itself to some kind of optimism. 
Next up, for those signings, just want to run through these really quick if this is of interest to you. Aaron Jones has got a public signing coming up on November 12th, so if you want a Showtime autograph, that's your chance to do it. Donald Driver through Waukesha Sports Cards, he's doing a private signing November 20th. Now, because it's a private signing, they do have a deadline in advance that you have to get the items to them by. So again, if you're interested, just comment below and I'll get you the exact details. Nick Collins is doing a public signing on November 5th. And then Romeo Dobbs on November 11th. Uh, I did a quick scan for this. Didn't see if it was public or private. Again, just comment and I'll get you all the details you need. But November 11th is the date that I have seen for a Romeo Dobbs signing. All right, so how do we fix the Packers? We know there are issues with this team. Um, a number of us have been quite upset about them for a while because some are obvious. Some are not. And we got to figure this out, right? I mean, we, we got to dive into this. How do the Packers move forward? And to me, number one thing that they can do, and again, I got seven little solutions here. And again, these are all things that we can see from the outside that, that just have to get fixed. Number one, change your pregame routine. During the Matt LeFleur era, we've seen it. There have been several times that this team just comes out flat. And of course, some of them are the big games. Some of them are playoff games over the last couple of years. Certainly, they're the last couple of weeks. Uh, almost any time they travel to California, we've seen it. Or travel to humid weather in Florida, we've seen it, right? This team just doesn't get off the plane. How much have you heard that phrase about the Green Bay Packers? And now, they did it in Lambeau Field, where they just didn't get up to play. And the thing that really strikes me the most is, I, I believe it was Mercedes Lewis who earlier in the season said, you know, we're, we're professionals. We don't need those little, those immature amp up things. We don't need those, those celebratory high school cheerleader, rah, rah, get up. I mean, you're just expected to go do your job. Here's the problem, though. It's not working. Like, it's just not. Face it. This isn't the team of all veterans that you've had in the last couple of years. Sure, a number of the veteran leaders are still there, but there's a number of young guys on this team too. And they may not have it. They maybe need to get ramped up. Something has to happen here. The pregame routine, whatever it is, and again, this is just internal. We don't know what this looks like. Maybe Matt LaFleur just needs to hire a motivational speaker. Who knows? But the point is, whatever pregame routine is going on for the Green Bay Packers has not been good enough. So if you keep on doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same results. Something has to change. Matt LaFleur, I believe it was last year, infamously said, we need to come out with our piss hot. How many times in the last few years have you actually seen that from the Packers, though? Almost never. Sure, they may come out with a hot start, but oftentimes, if you go back and watch, that's more attributed to a big play or scheme or anything. Not because of this burst of energy and aggression. When was the last time that we've seen a Packer team get after it? Play like their helmets are on fire. So they've got to do something. Something in their pregame routine to get the entire team unified, fired up, and ready to go. Forget the professional bullcrap and you think you don't need it. That's ego. 
You got to do something to get amped up for the games. Number two comes on the offensive line. Elton Jenkins, for as good as he is to this point, I think we can say, whether it's recovery, whether it's his skill base right now, him at right tackle just is not the best situation for the offensive line. Going back and rewatching it, it's pretty clear he just doesn't have the lateral side-to-side -side explosion and quickness that he needs to play tackle. However, Elton Jenkins is still a very good offensive lineman. Over the last few games, he's been one of the best run-blocking graded offensive linemen in the NFL. Or offensive tackles, I should say. I'm sorry. One of the best graded offensive tackles. So what do we do with him? Kick him inside. Now, my solution to this is I want him at right guard. I very much understand the people that say, move him back to left guard so that you've got Bakhtiari and Jenkins together. You've got a wall. I get it. I 100% get it. But at the same time, this offensive line is just, after the Jets game, it's in shambles. You had guys missing assignments. You had guys missing stunts. I want some form of continuity on that line. And I know I'm asking for continuity, right, as I'm asking for position change. I know. But John Runyon Jr., up until the Jets game, had yet to give up a pressure. Now, the Jets game was certainly, and I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you, the Jets game was not his best game. What's being circulated most right now is the uh, him trying to box out the defensive tackle of the Jets, which is obviously not a good look. But he was playing very well earlier this season. Really, up until the Jets game, especially in pass protection. So I don't mind him staying at left guard. I don't feel the need to mess with John Runyon Jr. when he's playing well. So my solution is move Elton Jenkins to right guard and then put Yash at right tackle. Now, right tackle is still going to need some support no matter what you do. But Yash, to me, is the best candidate for right tackle. I say that with the caveat that we don't know what's going on in practice. We have not seen Yash at right tackle. If he is not capable of switching, then maybe it's Tom time. Maybe it's time to give Zach Tom a go. Or maybe it's Walker. Please don't let it be Royce Newman. But, like, there's options. To do nothing at this point is just irresponsible. So my solution to this, the ideal word solution, is Bakhtiari at left tackle. John Runyon Jr. at left guard, where he can be left alone. Josh Myers at center, who certainly displays capable flashes... And having Elton Jenkins next to him at right guard will help Josh Myers. Putting Myers between JRJ and Elton Jenkins can help Myers be better. And then off of that at right tackle, Yash. Assuming Yash could play right tackle, which again, we have no idea. Only the coaches know that one. That's the offensive line. On the defensive side of the ball, there's another solution that I have in mind. And it may sound a little outside of the box, but go with me here. Stop putting all of your pass rush hopes on Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, and Kenny Clark. Those three have been doing a remarkable job, especially earlier in the season. You know, Preston and Gary had certain stats about like leading the pressure percentage in the NFL. Kenny Clark was off to an open start. Um, they're your three studs, right, in terms of pass rush. And you don't necessarily want to take them off of that role either. 
But one of the problems that we've seen in the run defense is that Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary, Rashawn kind of especially, don't always set the edge. It's become a consistent problem that once or twice in a game you see them overrun and they don't set the edge. And to me, that partly could be because they are the only form of pass rush that you're trying to get. Between Kenny Clark and the two outside edges, that's it. You're not blitzing Quay Walker. You're not blitzing Darnell Savage out of the secondary. With his speed and athleticism, I do believe Darnell Savage would be an effective blitzer. You're not having Jair come in from the slot when he's in the slot. You're not doing a lot of those creative blitz types, and all you're saying to Rashawn, Preston, and Kenny is you're saying, hey, we need a pass rush, and it's coming down to you three. That's it. Maybe Jerron Reed will help you out. Maybe Dean Lowry will help you out. Maybe Campbell if the play goes on long enough. But like it's, it's you three. You're it. So in order to help mix that up, you've got to start sending somebody else. And there's another solution that I'm going to talk about later on that can help you do that. But something has to change we can't just say, oh, the defense has to be more aggressive. There has to be an actual change with it, right? And to me, it's stop asking those three to be your only pass rush. Quay Walker, with his athletic traits, let him try. My God, he gets lost in run defense all the time. So let him try to blitz the quarterback. With his athleticism, he could be good at it. And there's a number of schematic things that you can do to make him the blitzer. While potentially helping your run defensive for Sean and Preston can set edges. So to me, it's you have to change up who's coming after the quarterback. It can't just be those three every single play that you're banking on to be successful. Number four, reassess the pony package. Look, all off-season long, everyone who's got a microphone and talks about the Green Bay Packers was talking about their excitement for the pony package. A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, you know, there's there's not this much playmaking ability at wide receiver, so what do you do? Feature the running backs more. Or so we thought until we learned that Matt LaFleur hates Aaron Jones. But the pony package seemed like the most simplistic, just easy, here it is on a platter way to get both of your playmakers on the field to call a number of plays, have a successful run game, right? And for the, for the first bunch of the season, it just it just didn't work the way it was supposed to, for whatever reason. And now the Packers over the last two games have really started to get away from it. They're calling less and less pony. But in the Jets game, all you had to do was look across to the other side to Matt LaFleur's own bloodline to see that LaFleur's brother has been utilizing the pony package to great effect using Hall and Carter. Now, this is not to diminish Hall and Carter, but they are not Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So if the Jets are able to effectively utilize the pony package, why aren't the Packers? To me, something schematic has to be wrong there. Now, I can't answer what for you, but something, I mean, because sure, are individual spots on the Jets' offensive line better? Yeah, potentially, but not tremendously. So it can't necessarily be that, right? 
the Jets don't have the threat at quarterback that the Packers have. Sure, wide receiver. I'll totally give that to the Jets, sure. But why is it that one team can run effectively run the pony package and the other team can't? And that needs to be answered because you need Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon on the field. Together. And I don't care if you don't want to call it the pony pack. I don't care if you want to call it I-form and put A.J. Dillon at the traditional fullback role. I don't care. I don't care what you call it. I don't care how you do it. Get them on the field. Moving on from that, number five, and this is very, very close-knit to that, we have got to find a solution to A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon, towards the end of last year, he was one of PFF's highest-rated running backs in the entire NFL towards the end of the year last year. It truly looked like it was going to be 1A, 1B. And now we're into this year, and sometimes he's getting more carries than Aaron Jones, but he's not nearly as effective running the ball as Aaron Jones or as he should be. Now, part of the problem, of course, is that the offensive line isn't opening up space for him. But A.J. Dillon is the kind of running back that doesn't necessarily require all that space because he wants contact. So what's wrong here? And to me, I don't mind the idea. We saw it in week, I think it was one, it was very early on in the season where Aaron Jones scored a touchdown and A.J. Dillon was the lead blocker. I'm going to be frank, I don't hate that. If A.J. Dillon needs to get in the mode of hitting people more often, sign him up as a lead blocker. I'm not saying all the time. He's obviously still going to get the ball a lot. Sign him up. If he needs to get in the mode, like a linebacker doing tackle drills, if he needs to get in order to get to that steamrolling presence in the fourth quarter that we've seen a hundred times, he needs to get hit more often early in the game, this is a way to do it. And give Aaron Jones touches while doing it. Or present both of them on the field at the same time and motion Aaron Jones out to the slot. I don't hate that either. We know Aaron Jones has tremendous receiving ability, even if he's not the most natural wide receiver on the field. When you have all of the injuries to wide receiver that the Packers have had, why not give it a whirl? Get your best playmakers in position to make plays. And that starts with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Next up, back on the defensive side of the ball. I don't mind at all Jair Alexander shadowing the opposing team's top wide receiver. Maybe this isn't a permanent fix. But while you're figuring out everything else, while you're trying to fix Devondre Campbell to make him the 2021 version of himself, while you're trying to get Adrian Amos back to form, you know, while you've got all of these other projects, I don't mind Jay Alexander tailing wide receiver one, similar to what he did against the Jets. He was on Wilson a lot, and it worked quite well. And this is what I was talking about earlier. If you want to diversify who's coming after the quarterback, basically blanketing their opposing number one receiver in coverage can certainly help. 
it probably would have helped a lot week one against Justin Jefferson. And to pair that, to pair another thing with it, I guess I should say, if one of your defensive backs is coming off of the field, I want that one coming off the field to be Darnell Savage, not Razul Douglas. If you're only going to have four defensive backs on a given play, Stokes, Jair, Razul, Amos. Savage has been lost. And I don't know why, but he seems to be one of the few players that played better in Mike Pettin's system than he has under Joe Barry's. We are now a year and a half into the Joe Barry defense, and there's a number of players that aren't playing as well as they did last year. Devondre Campbell being number one on the list for me. He is not having as good a year this year as he did last year. But Darnell Savage is a player who's taken a step back the entire time that Joe Barry's been here. And you can't really say that for anybody else. I don't know why he would work better under the Patton system than he did the Barry system, unless he's just being asked to do too much or things that don't match his skill set. But he's looked horrifically lost a number of times this year. So if you've got to take off one of your five defensive backs, it's got to be Savage. And again, going back to my point earlier, you can utilize Savage in different ways, including in the pass rush. Number seven. It sounds stupid. It sounds silly. You don't have any control over it. Get healthy. Look, coming into this year, I, several others, talked about it. The Green Bay Packers were going to put together this mosaic at offense. You know, Cobb doing this kind of thing. Watson doing this kind of thing. Watkins doing this kind of thing. Jones and Dylan behind, etc. All these pieces serving different functions to make this offense whole. Well, when Sammy Watkins misses four games early on in the season, when Christian Watson misses time, coming up when Randall Cobb misses time, if it was going to take all of those pieces to make you whole, and now you chinking away at the armor, this one's gone, this one's gone, this... That's what happens when you have guys who really only do one or two roles for your offense. When they're gone, who does it? Amari Rogers may fill in for some of Cobb, but they don't seem to trust him on offense yet. I mean, I know he played a bunch against the Jets, but there's a lot of jet motion type guy. Wasn't doing true Randall Cobb stuff. But that position just straight up needs to get healthy. It does. You know, and I'm going to throw one last one on here before we wrap it up. And I know a lot of people listening to this are probably hoping that I'm going to say something along the lines of OBJ or trade for DJ Moore or all these other things, right? There's a reason I didn't talk about external acquisitions. The Packers' problems run deeper than I believe one individual can fix. And I think if you just sign OBJ, this passing offense doesn't just suddenly figure itself out. Right? There are some things in this offense that have to be simplified. Yeah, there are. 
Rogers is not entirely wrong, even if he didn't say it. I know he's incredibly articulate, but like that wasn't the most tactful thing he's ever said. Nor was it the most specific. And Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, I'm sure they already have, had have had some kind of conversation. But I don't think you can just sign one player, trade for one player, and suddenly the offense is fixed. This entire collective has issues. Cultural. Organizational. Attitude. And not only that, but if the Packers are going to reach the mountaintop, if they're going to have as good of a season as many people hope for, if they're going to have as good of a season as going all in dictates that you need to have, these solutions need to come from within. It needs to be fixing A.J. Dillon, allowing the defense to play aggressively, letting Jair shadow people. It needs to be switching the offensive lines so that your players can be successful. It needs to be getting amped up for games because God knows they don't do that. It has to be these internal switches, right? Just bringing in somebody from the outside isn't going to do it. It's an easy scapegoat answer. And all of this rolls into, for me... They have to remember who, why, what they play for. Matt LaFleur in his press conference today said that he told players before practice or he was going to or something, I'm forgetting the timing, but like he wants the players to remember and get back to having fun on the football field. And I've called all week for anger (laughs) embrace your emotions happiness is one of them too but the green bay packers over the last two weeks have just looked rudderless soulless a group of men without a unified purpose i saw someone tweet about how this team just kind of looks like a bunch of guys that don't even really like each other that much and that really stuck with me because you know it's kind of true and that's really disturbing if i were the leader of any type of organization of any type of team or anything right and i was told that hey i'm not sure your your guys really like each other not sure that they really enjoy playing together. That's going to be agenda item number one. We're going to fix it. And I don't know what the answer to that is because it's so dependent on the clients and the people that you're working with, right? We all know that. Solving cohesiveness, trust, becoming a team is custom to whatever that team needs. And the Green Bay Packers are in that mold. They just don't look like a cohesive unit. When you watch this offense play, do you see 11 guys that without fail question or like trust each other? No, you don't. It's not what you see. Who do you play for? Is it each other? Is it yourself? Is it the town? What? Who? What do you play for? 
Why do you do it? Those questions should be on the front of the mind for every single person in the Green Bay Packer organization moving forward. You want to fix this team? Start there. And I know I included it as the last reason, but it's true. Start there. And some of these other things are very simple switches. Do them. Answer those questions. And then you will see this team begin to click and live up to what it should be this year. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. We've had a lot of new people join the channel over the last week. I'm incredibly thankful. Welcome if you are new. Drop a comment down below. Don't be afraid to comment on others. Get talking. Let's talk Green Bay Packers. Thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, shoot me a follow on Twitter at John Delray. Like our Facebook page, Lombardi Time Brews. That Facebook page is still new. I try to post on it daily. Um, but that way you can be in the know about all of our new videos, content, etc. But thanks so much for joining me here at Lombardi Time Brews. As always, I hope you have a great day and go Pack Go.